Today's episode of 755 is Real is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to gotomeeting.com backslash tips. That's gotomeeting.com backslash tips. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome to Seven Fifty-Five is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic, with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty. Eric, what are you doing, man? How you doing? Waking up. Waking up. That's kind of the tone of this uh, off season so far, isn't it? I have yeah. totally reverted to. I don't know what my <laughs> sleep habits are right now, but they're awful. Yeah, I was curious about that because I bet a lot of people are finding out, you know, it's not easy to keep a, keep a good pattern when you don't have to wake up at any point. No, exactly. And I stay up till just godforsaken hours and sleep in because I don't, you know. Yeah. There's no, there's no news happening right now, so you're not like. It's freestyle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's welcome our, uh, we've got a special guest today. Uh, had her on before. Want to talk about a story that we did this week? Britt Garoli from the Athletics Washington D.C. Bureau. What's up, Britt? How you doing? What's up? How are you guys? Hey, We're good. Bef- before we go any further, I, is it Garoli? How I always I always hate when I pronounce <laughs> mispronounce somebody's name, and I do it for like three years, and then I find out later. Oh yeah, you've been saying her name all or his name wrong all along. So I'm just going to ask you, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, yeah, you yeah you've been saying it wrong all along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Giroli, like a J See? almost. There you go. Yeah. Right, so that's why I asked. I'm not going to go any further with that then. Man, I've done that though. I hate that when I do that with some, not just somebody's names, but sometimes like a word that you've always said in your mind a certain way, but you've never had. You know, you probably only said it five times aloud but you've said it in around other people before. And then you find out you said it completely wrong. And you're like, Oh my God, those people thought I was an idiot, (laughs) but they didn't want to correct you. When it's your name, I think you just, you just don't even bother sometimes if you know, (laughs) you just get tired of people saying it wrong, but you get tired of correcting them too. And just ride with it. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. So the story that we did this week on Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto, the Braves young stud and the Nationals young stud. And we did the story on it because they're in so many ways similar. And also they're both obviously really young. Acuna I just turned 22 before Christmas and what, uh, Soto's still 21. Yeah. And these guys both play. They are, uh, I guess, as they would be poster children for the let the kids play movement because they both play with a flair, where their emotions on their sleeves, um, and they're both supremely talented players. Really great players, uh, stars in the making. If they're not already stars, I think they probably already are after Soto's postseason and Acuna's first two years. But. Um, just what what has been the feedback that you've gotten on that? And uh, I, I think my, what I've heard has been encouraging. I like to hear that people have uh, are embracing not just Acuna, but 
Soto, who plays for the rival Nats, they read his responses and go, it's hard not to like this guy, even though he plays for the rival. Yeah, and, and kudos to you, Dave, because, you know, this was your idea and ended up working, you know, beautifully. It was so entertaining to me uh, talking to Soto. You had already gotten Ronald, so reading him those responses, you know, he's yeah. laughing, he's kind of teasing back, you know, kind of talking about bat flips and uh, you, you really get the sense that there is a very strong, what they call brotherhood between those yeah. two guys. Uh, and they're so young and they're so good and their ceiling is so high. And it was encouraging to see in those comments, you know, both teams both on both sides of the line, fans of both teams kind of saying, you know what? I, I respect both these guys. They're fun to watch play. I think yeah. if you're a baseball fan, purely a fan of the game, yeah. I don't know how you don't appreciate what these two guys bring to the table. And really the whole wave that they mentioned in the article as well, you know, there's a host of other guys that are coming up and changing yeah. the game. And I think, you know, yeah. with each passing year, people are getting used to uh, these guys playing loud and having fun and being themselves. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Did, uh, Eric, did you read the, did you see, see the, the, the guys that they, they mentioned, we asked each of them, what were the other young players in the game that really excite them and all that? Uh, and they both mentioned the same guys. You can name them probably, right? But I bet one of them you don't name. Give me, give me, give me two of them that you think they would name. I'd say like Javi Baez. Um, mm-hmm. He was mentioned by yeah. one of them. Yeah. Lin, maybe Lindor. No, he wasn't, no? but uh-huh. surprising. But because uh, no. they stuck with National League guys. Oh, okay. Who you got? Tatis. Tatis. Oh, yeah. Vlad Guerrero Jr. Bichette. And, oh, National League. No, you're, no, but that's what I was going to say is the one that uh, surprised me. I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, though, was, you know, but you expect Latin guys are going to name Latin guys or whatever. But uh, Bo Bichette. He yeah. Was both, yeah. Both guys named Bo Bichette. They love that guy. <laughs> He's got style. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really does. They do, they do. And they have like uh, Jeff McNeil getting thrown in there by Soto. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I saw that. Jeff McNeil. Uh, it makes, you- yeah, it makes sense when you think about it a little bit. You know, left a uh, guy who maybe Soto watched how that guy got yeah. pitched to. He was there when Soto came up. And now they're playing in that MLB show, the show together. Right. Uh, but just a, a curious name at first glance for sure. Uh, the Mets infielder, of course. God, Jeff McNeil was so good last year. He'd killed the Braves some games early, man. I, I'd have to look at his season stats, but he was really – man, he had a breakthrough last year. Um, So, so yeah, but these guys uh, – Acuna doesn't really usually elaborate or get very uh, – um, he, he's an, not very animated in his responses to much at all. But when I asked about Soto – he was such a better interview than he normally is in that he, he doesn't like talking about himself that much. I mean, he's really confident, but he just doesn't prefer to talk about himself that much. But he loved talking about himself as it com- as compared to Soto. Like, you would have never seen him have the kind of responses he did. Like when I said, well, who's the better hitter? And he went, me, before I he could even run it through the interpreter because he used an interpreter. <laughs> who's got the better arm? Me. He understood the question and answered. And he's not normally like that. So you could tell that there's a special relationship between these two guys. Like brothers, man. They're like brothers or best friends. Yeah, it's really cool. And then I guess I didn't realize how much that experience playing together in Japan as teammates. Yeah. Uh, really kind yeah. of furthered that, right? Because you're like, well, how could these guys really be brothers? They don't spend that much time around each other. Um, yeah. But I think what that did is it really just kind of enhanced 
everything that they already had. I think playing together, finally getting to know each other a little bit more than the BTs and the hellos, you know, pregame yeah. and stuff. And then, of course, the rookie of the year that Juan mentioned that, you know, yeah. they were joking about it, laughing about it. Uh, you know, it was kind of cool to see uh, these two young guys, this big award, um, just kind of not really taking it, it seriously and just saying, hey, we both deserved it. We both had great years. Whatever happens, happens. Obviously, Akuna won. It wasn't even terribly close, um, right. I think, when you look at it. Uh, but just It wasn't kind of until a, the last cool, month or so. Yeah. Right, right. Just kind of a cool moment, I guess, to kind of view it through the prism uh, of their eyes, uh, of these two guys um, who are so good, who are so often going to be mentioned in the same breath, yeah. hopefully for a long time in baseball, uh, finally get the chance uh, to be teammates over in Japan. I thought that part was really cool. Well, that's part of what those trips are about, isn't it, uh, Eric? Is it, when they take the U.S. stars over to Japan and all that is uh, the bonding thing, the whole thing, and it's just such a it's a goodwill tour more than anything. And I think baseball is going to get more out of this than they had imagined with by these two guys being on the same team together after their rookie years. I'm thinking they probably maybe each of them was a little, still a little uncomfortable being around the veterans that were over there or whatever. So they probably naturally uh, gravitated towards each other, but they really bonded over in Japan. And cause both of them mentioned that. It's the first thing they mentioned when I said, how are you so close? They both said Japan. And uh, when they're over there and can't speak the language and all that, I'm sure if they kind of got together day one, they probably ended up doing everything together over there. And then they found out, like Britt said, it was over in Japan. They were over there when they found out about the rookie of the year. Uh, voting and who won <laughs> that's cool you know it's all it really takes i've had i have some teammates that i was only teammates with in spring training and i still keep in touch with and uh-huh. you know i send them a text they text you right back and you hear from them all the time um it's it's all it really takes i mean like a guy like tony watson i was in um pittsburgh uh one spring training with him and you know so i probably spent a month and yeah. a half and you know, right away, probably within a week, me and him just kind of clicked. And I was like, all right, this is one of my guys, you know, and I think that's that's pretty cool. But that's kind of how it is. Um, mm-hmm. So now getting to see each other, I'm sure they'll go out to dinner when they, you know, yeah. when they meet up on the road and everything like that, that they'll, it'll be really cool to watch this uh, friendship play out. I would say I would think that, I mean, the Braves obviously have already assigned Acuna for for a decade, you know, with the options attached. And you would think that. uh you, you got to think the Nationals are going to try to do something like that with Soto, although it's not going to be as easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but both of these teams, I mean, especially after the Nats, you know, Rendon, they they let him go free agency, you know, and they get Strasburg. I would think that the Nats are going to have some pressure if Soto keeps developing or just or just stays as good as he is right now. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to 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 make sure they sign this guy long term. Yeah, if he's oh, uh, if, if he wants to talk, you know, that's, he's going to be making more than Acuna pretty soon. If if he plays yeah. it year by year, <laughs> that'll be one angle he can play. Yeah, I think that's kind of the danger for if you're a Braves fan, you're excited that they've already locked up Acuna. Yeah. If you're a Nats fan, you're thinking to yourself, "Oh my God, this guy took center <laughs> stage in the World Series. Like, what are yeah. we going to end up paying him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a Boris guy. I mean, yeah. you got all these things stacked against him. Uh, certainly, he's a guy that you can't replace." Um, they don't have anybody in the system, unlike the Braves. You know, the Nats really don't have a minor league system um, right now. That's super exciting. Uh, the window is definitely right now, and it's definitely going to be closing soon. Um, so you really do need to figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to approach these next couple of years. And if Juan Soto is a guy that, you know, you build and potentially rebuild around. 
this, the contract the Braves signed Acuna for, I mean, they're going to look like, well, geniuses for doing it when they did. Uh, but there's also the danger, obviously, that there's going to be players making three times what he makes by the, you know, by late in that contract. But, uh, um, if the, if the Nats were to try to do that with, with, uh, Soto now after the year and the post, well, especially the postseason that he had, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He's a year younger than Acuna and to sign him to the same length deal right now with Boris as his agent. Oh man, double. Would cost at least, at double. least two, I'm thinking two and a half times. It would cost yeah. 250 million. <laughs> yep. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I don't, it's I, yeah, crazy I don't. When you think about the money that's involved and, and the difference, the disparity. One year, what a difference it can make. Right. Well, I think it's all about timing. I think when you go yeah. back to, you know, when, when Soto was hurt in the minor leagues before he even came up, I mean, that would have been the time. We, I always, mm-hmm. you know, I covered the Orioles for almost 10 years. And, we, you know, you always think about Manny Machado and how after his yep. second knee surgery, his second consecutive season-ending knee surgery, that was the time to lock him up. Um, yeah. That was the time that they would have willing to listen. But so often with these teams, you know, they don't, you don't really know what you're going to get. There's certainly a risk when a guy's stock is that low that maybe he's never that guy again. But mm-hmm. that's really for a lot of teams like the Braves, that's the chance to do it is before yeah. these guys hit their potential, before they hit their ceiling. Uh, it's a gamble, but man, but guys like Acuna, as long as they stay healthy, I mean, the payoff is enormous. Yeah. I mean, you've got to take. If you're certain of a guy, and you couldn't be more certain of a guy than you are with Acuna, you've got to to roll the dice and take that little bit of a risk that he gets hurt, or you know, because you're going to have insurance on it anyway, um, uh, you know. And you should have had an evaluation on him by then that you don't have to worry about the personality and how he's going if he's going to keep uh, working and become uh, keep developing because you know. They had no doubts about Acuna at that point. Whatever they said about it, you know, there's still a, a small chance he won't be, you know, no, there wasn't. We know he's going to be a superstar. There's there's no question. Uh, you know, you could argue that there was a little bit, obviously, more of a risk with Ozzie Albies because he had had such a bad second half uh, in 18. But that contract they signed him to is even more ridiculously low and team-friendly. That was good uh, timing. They, oh, my God, they <laughs> took that chance. And what did he do? He comes out and, and does what he did in the first half in 18, does it for the entire season in 19. Yeah. And now his contract just looks wow for the team. Crazy. But yeah. yeah, you can you can you can put yourself in it's such a great situation for long term if you're willing to just take a little bit of a risk, you know. The, the crazy thing security. You know, the, the the hardest thing is is as a player, you're supposed to be looking out for um, all the other guys coming after you and everything like that. And right. it's for me that the number one question is always health. If you see a guy like Soto or Acuna, you know that if as long as you can keep them on the field, they're gonna yeah. they're gonna be worth it. But you have to evaluate kind of the guy's um, health and, and movement patterns and all that stuff, and and their odds of staying on the field. But it's the same as a player, you know. If mm-hmm. there's there could be a player with a nagging knee injury that he can't really get any answers for, and and it's just been killing him all these years, and they someone offers you thirty five million, you know, or 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 you don't know, maybe you don't have that confidence that you're going to be able to perform, uh, even if you even if you do stay healthy, you know, it's 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 so many risks up top, but it's it's only you, you know, nobody ever sends you a thank you check uh, for all the money you turn down if you wind up flaming <laughs> out and yeah. and you know making four million in your career, you turn down forty two for the good of the cause. And 
that's kind of the it's the flip side of it. It's really hard for players to turn that money down too. I mean, if I was a GM, I would I would always toss an Albies contract at any young player just to mm-hmm. see if they bite. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the, the payoff is just so big I mean, when you when you can when you can look at your your uh, team for the next you know eight to ten years and pencil in Those Acuna <laughs> and Albies. Yeah, in every lineup. I mean, that's. You can worry about so much other stuff, and then pretty soon, I think you're going to be able to say the thing, same thing with Freddie. When you know you sign him to a five year extension or whatever it is, you can have yep. three of your eight guys right there. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear—a suit or a tuxedo—for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. I had a terrible experience. Who would have thought a quick trip for a tux fitting the day after the 4th of July would be such a struggle? What should have been a 15-minute max meeting turned into an hour ordeal with a good half-hour wait time just to get paperwork started. Why am I doing paperwork at a tuck shop? Clearly, this place was under understaffed for a study afternoon, uh, for a Saturday afternoon. Holiday weekend or not, I'm pissed off and I'm not coming back. Oh, uh, yeah, he's not coming back. And- yeah, you don't have that problem at the Black Tux. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check in one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off your with the code BRAVES. That's theblacktux.com, code BRAVES for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Britt, you mentioned uh, you mentioned covering Manny Machado. Uh, you covered him for how many years with the Orioles? Uh, eight. Yeah. I wanted to ask you... How was he different than maybe these two guys are? Because it, it seems to me, just looking from the outside, that Machado goes a little further with things. Maybe it rubs a lot more people wrong than either of these two guys, these young guys do. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think with with Machado, the problem was, and I know Acuna and Soto came up and had immediate success, but how many guys come up yeah. and are playing at a position that they weren't even playing before? and are all of a sudden in a pennant race um, and are a starring role in that pennant race. I think he had so much success so early. Uh, and certainly Soto and Acuna haven't really had these prolonged um, periods where they've struggled. But for Machado, there was no downtime ever. Um, you know, he never really got that like, oh, God, you know, you got to adjust back to the league. He came up, he starred, and it really kind of went to his head, for back of a, lack of a better term. And I think um, – Part of the issue was they got rid of Nelson Cruz, you know, Nick Marcakis, some of these guys mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. kind of kept him in line and kind of uh-huh. he needed early on. And when he, yeah, and when he looked around and he was all of a sudden that leader, I think he was kind of thrust into that role almost too early. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I saw him last year in San Diego, and it was apparent 
how much he had kind of matured um, mm-hmm. and, and seemed to kind of have grown up where now he's okay being that guy um, and saying, you know, I was, I was stupid. I made mistakes. I did dumb things. Like he's okay admitting he did dumb shit now. But, yeah. you know, when you look at what he did and you look at how good of a player he was, he immediately became the villain. And that's a real yeah. tough label to shake, right? Yeah. Like oh, all yeah. of a sudden, ev- everything he does all of a sudden has a malicious intent, whether yeah. he really wanted it that way or not. Um, I think he realized just how quickly uh, you get that reputation. And he still has that reputation. And really, yeah. when was the last time he did something dirty or underhanded? You yeah. know, I think right now. He's just never going to be able to shake that. And I think he's realized that and he's helped some of these younger players kind of understand that what you do at 22, 23 is going to follow you, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years down the line. You're never going to get, you're never going to get rid of it. Yeah. He cemented that unfortunately for him on the biggest stage, you know, in the postseason. and people don't forget those incidents. I mean, they're played out and they're replayed and talked about, and they're just so much bigger than they would have been during a regular season game in June against the Marlins, you know? Well, it's hard to shake it in San Diego, too. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody's nobody's yeah. seeing what he's doing now versus everybody right. saw. You know, it's right. if he was doing right. it in the big market, if he went to the Yankees or the Red Sox and all that, you know, he'd be on every highlight clip yep. and doing interviews and all that stuff. Yeah, San Diego is the polar opposite of a place where you're making, you know, your reputation for yourself. You're, you're just kind of out there until mm-hmm. they start playing better and, and competing yep. and, and get at least getting to the playoffs. It's going to be tough to shake that. Yeah, because we never saw any highlight of him doing anything, no. like Britt said, anything bad last year. You Nothing. didn't see any highlights of him doing anything, most Nothing. for the most part. Yeah. But uh, And if he would have done something bad, you can bet, you know, if he would have tried to step on somebody's foot or whatever, yeah. you can bet they would have showed that. <laughs> we never saw anything. So, yeah. But but you're right. You still think of him, first thing you think of, that postseason. Yep. So, right. man, it's, it's great that you mentioned that about uh, – Cruz and then Marcakis leaving because I try, I've tried to, to, to tell people, like Eric just said, how that matters. Man, I'm, th- I'm, I'm thinking how perfect it scenario it was for Acuna and Albies to come up with the Braves when they did with, with in the last couple of years, they've had, they had Marcakis, you mentioned, they've had Freddie Freeman, they had Brian McCann, they had, they had so many leaders on this team that would have helped the cat that, put them in their place and let them know, no, we don't do it that way. If they'd have really screwed up as opposed to say coming up with the Marlins as a star, you know, as a young, great young player in the last five or six years and, and maybe not having a guy there. And if you did have a guy there, he's going to get traded anyway. So it's just so it was, it was perfect for Acuna and Albies to come up and, and for Soto to come up when he did with Rendon and those guys, Zimmerman Zimmerman over there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so important. Exactly. And Eric, you could speak, I'm sure much more to this, but like people don't think it matters. People look at Nick Markakis, for example, and don't really understand his true value. And it's so much greater than what he's able to do between the lines. You just, you got to have somebody to answer to, you know, it's, and and a lot of times it, it can't even be like a relief pitcher or somebody like that, because if you're going out there playing 150 games and, or 160 games and you're hitting 40 homers, and this reliever with a four and a half ERA that's hanging on for his career is trying to tell you what to do. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it would take the reliever having to fight you to get his point across. But when you watch a superstar or an everyday player, you know, like Marquez, McCann, Freeman, those guys, and it, also knowing that every time you mess up, they're going to say something. Um, it, it just, it, it puts you in a position where you're like, you know what? 
I just don't want to cause problems. So I'm just going to follow these rules, even if I don't agree with them. And then three, four years later, you, down the road, you're looking back and you see a young guy come up that's going to push the envelope again. And you're like, man, that was me. Uh, I, I don't want to be like that. Or I'm glad I wasn't like that. And it's, it's different perspective because I think a lot of times they feel like everyone's against them when they're young and, mm-hmm. and they feel like, you know, it's just these crusty old guys that just want someone to yell at. Um, but you, you know, they understand the importance of playing the game a certain way. Um, there was two instances last year with Acuna where he, you know, he didn't run hard on a, on a, he, he thought he hit a home run and he didn't run. Um, and it wound up costing them in the playoffs. It cost them a base. I mean, maybe it cost them, maybe it didn't, but it's the type of thing where if you get those messages across and you know how they probably were on his ass a lot that year. I mean, it could have happened a lot more and actually cost some games. And and that's what you're trying to prevent. It's just a scenario where a guy doesn't play the game hard or doesn't do something and slips up and it, and it costs you the whole group. But um, it's really just, it's just having somebody to answer to and, and learning, you know, to put the team first and all that. And it, it gets so um, played out and everybody gets tired of hearing it. But as far as, you know, 25 guys that have one goal, um, it's just getting that message across that this is the goal and this is what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can't quantify, you know, what the value is of those guys, those, those the leaders on on a team. But it, it it's for impossible guys that have played, for guys that have played. It's like there's just it's enormous. The clubhouse and the and having those guys in a, on a team is just enormous because you know, a young guy can come up and be the star of a team at you know twenty two, twenty three years old, and if there's no proven veterans around the kind of take hold and, and do what and you that, want you you're kind of feeling your own way and and there's nobody to, to to tell you no that's the wrong way to do it and 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 then it's just for you're fortunate if you don't if you do do everything right and you don't make mistakes and end up you know costing yourself and the team and your development so did you ever uh, see the play with hanley ramirez um i think it got freddie fired yeah he's <laughs> a perfect example <laughs> there was like a um I think the left fielder missed a ball or something happened or he was playing left. I can't remember what it was. He misplayed a ball and he just jogged after it. And uh, they wound up getting an inside the park homer. And it was one of those plays where, you know, you needed a veteran to to stand up and, and get in the guy's yeah. face, but it wound up Freddie had to bench him or yank him out of the game yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And he wound up Freddie, Freddie wound up getting fired for that or, or, yeah. or soonly thereafter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause he had an owner that, was too had favorites on the team play right that, you know, didn't want to offend any of his young players right so when they complained directly to the owner yeah it led to freddie getting fired but he had like andre dawson was a special assistant for them at the time and andre dawson went in and talked to hanley after that when he when he got in freddie's face or whatever and told him you don't do that shit you know andre yeah. dawson said you know but ultimately when he goes to the owner and complains yeah but I think he's a perfect example of what you're talking about. Hanley Ramirez was rookie of the year with the Marlins in uh, 06. You know, comes up, you know, as, as a rookie, hits 292 with, uh, what, f- I'm looking at 46 doubles, 17 bombs, 51 stolen bases. I mean, he was an absolute stud. He's pretty but, much what Acuna is right now when, when he first came up, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as talent. And on that team, that team was 78 and 84. And they had, they had, I mean, you look at the names of their starters. They had Miguel Olivo, Mike Jacobs, Dan Ugla at the end. Uh, 
Miggy was there. He yeah, he was leave about to leave. Josh Willingham, Reggie Abercrombie, Jeremy Hermida. Uh they they only had one Dan Ugla was one of and and Willingham were the only guys in that uh lineup that were over 25. Yeah. And it's I think it was just a power struggle there where where the yeah. owner had a favorite and when you're making what letting a young guy make all the decisions on how the game's going to be played and how the team's going to do things, you know, there's just going to be boneheaded yeah. stuff happening and that's really all you're trying to avoid. And you didn't have that there. So you had, you know, with Acuña, you've got a guy that uh there's not any malcontent. There's not a bad no. bone in a guy's body, no. I don't think at all. It's just learning. He's learning. Right. So it's just learning. So you got guys though that are there to make sure, hey, look, you know, Freddie goes over and talks to him in the dugout or after the, you know, hey, look, we don't you don't do this, you got to do this, you know. And, and and he and he and even if it maybe uh, some of his fans are worried about how that's going to affect him, the fact is he took it all the right way. I mean, he Acuna says, you know, in each of those cases, he learned from them. So I think long term, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to make a terrific player even better. I mean, he's just and he's going and to be able to pass that the, along too. That's the whole the whole gig is just to, you know, you you explain it to the player, you know, where you know that where they know that you want good for them and, mm-hmm. and, and they know you're on, you're on their side and, and we're all in this together, but here's how we got to do it. So that doesn't ever come back and bite us in the ass. And it's just, it's repeatedly just getting those message across and it's people take it as like, you know, Mark Akis is just going to go up and punch him in the face if he pimps another Homer. Right. And it's not, you know, <laughs> no. he, he loves him like he's a brother, yeah. but yeah. when, whenever your little brother messes up, you got to go take him aside and be like, Hey man, you, you know, you did this wrong. You did that wrong. Let's do it right next time. And 99% of the time, the young players have this respect for the veterans. And that's the whole point is it's a respect thing in the first place. You're going to listen to people that you respect, but they'll have this respect for the, for the veteran player. And they'll just say, shit, my bad, man. Okay. I won't do that again. And it gets blown up. Um, you know, cause you guys are going to ask questions and ask if it was talked about and ask if it was taken care of. And then it's going to get kind of screwed up when it, when it gets out there, because guys are just going to be just as blunt with you as they were with him in the dugout, but he can take it. Yeah, and and so right. then when when fans hear how the guys say it and everything like that, they think they're being assholes yeah. or too hard on them. But yeah. the the guys, I mean, he's out there competing in front of fifty thousand. He can he can handle some criticism, and if his teammates that that support him have things to say, you know, they already said it to him. He knows they're on his side, and it's over. And it's yeah. usually dead the next day. It's like, oh yeah. damn, I messed up. And then the next day you come and you're eating lunch with everybody. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is the context. People see the quotes from these guys after the game, and it just doesn't come across. It, to to it when you're reading it as a fan it doesn't come across the way it does in the actual clubhouse because like you said they've already talked to him they've already ironed it out with him and they didn't leave walking away from him going asshole but they left yeah. him. you got it is it cool man We're, you know you just We're can't good. do that you know that's We're one good. of the that's one of the toughest things when i would come home from the season you know i was talking to my wife because she would she would ask a question like how do these pants look or do you like this shirt? I said, it's stupid, you know, because that's how we talk to each other in the clubhouse. Yeah. And then yeah. she'd be, you know, she'd be like, God damn, you're an asshole, you know, and she'd storm out of the room. And so it would take it take a minute for you know to adjust from that clubhouse atmosphere, right, right. you know, for a majority of your time to to back to you know somebody that's not used to getting shit like that all the time. And right. you know, after like two weeks, she just we'd get used to each other, and and I'd be. I'd kind of soften things up and not be so harsh like like we are in the clubhouse. But right. um, guys in the clubhouse, I mean, they're on each other and, and everything's right. just blunt, straightforward. You know, it's you're ripping on each other all the time. It's it's really not a big deal to have to tell a guy that he messed up. 
They, yeah, they, 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 when they're reading it, you just want people to, to understand that when they're reading those quotes from the players, it from his teammates, it wouldn't matter what they no. said to reporters after the game. What they said to Acuna would not matter because each of those guys quoted, Freddie Freeman, Marquecas, has already talked to Acuna. Yeah. And Acuna knows and they are all good. Those those people, their one-to-one relationships are perfect. They're good. And he, and he totally understands why they said what they said to him. So it doesn't matter what is said in the paper the next day or no. online that after, you know, people aren't going, Oh, and Acuna, that's not right. You know, he's going to be offended. We're going to, we're going to ruin it. He's going to want to get out of here. And you know, that's, that's just not the case, man. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 755 at checkout. Again, let's go to drinkhydrate.com and enter promo code 755 at checkout for 25% off your first order. Yeah, but we're talking about how harmless these guys seem, Acuna and, and Soda, you know, compared to, uh, say, Machado. But I should note, you know, like the Marlins obviously don't see Acuna as harmless because as many times as they've thrown at him for after he's pimped a home run or whatever. So I guess it's a case-by-case basis, but... Uh, I think that says more about the Marlins and, 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 you know, Mattingly the way he runs that ship than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true as well. I think also with the Marlins and some of these younger teams, like you said, there's no direction, there's no leadership. There's no guy to step in and say, let's just leave it. Uh, You know, we're we're 20 games out. Let's just leave it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, they got a guy throwing the hardest pitch he's ever thrown in his life on the first pitch of the game when he faces Acuna the next day. You know, there was nobody right. to tell him that's not how we're going to go about retaliating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does uh, what does Soto say about that thing he does, which is I think it was categorized or, or characterized correctly on during the postseason as. So, or somebody on Twitter might have said, that's the most, it was a pitcher on Twitter said, that's the most aggressive take I've ever seen in my life. It might have been Brandon McCarthy maybe on Twitter, but he said, that's the most aggressive take I've ever seen. And it's that thing where, where there's a ball and he steps way up and slides up in the front of the box and kind of stares down at it as it goes into the, to the mitt. You know what I'm talking about and kind of grabs himself and adjusts himself. Yeah. I, I oh, love yeah. that. I love that thing he does. What, what is it's that called- all about? It's called the Soto Shuffle, first off. Um, that's what it's been called here. And uh, it's it's something that he says he started in the minor leagues. And for him, it's an intimidation thing. 
You know, yeah. he feels like he's playing mind games with the pitcher. And, right. you know, that he said very often guys are, especially in the minor leagues, guys would be totally thrown off. Like, what's this guy doing? You know, he's <laughs> yeah. grabbing himself. He's moving. Yeah. He's shuffling. They'd be kind of like rattled, which is his whole point. And then yeah. he'd be able to get a better pitch, you know, or they'd miss a spot. And, uh, you know, Soto would crush it. So um, it's something that he's continued to kind of refine. And he's kind of up the ante a little <laughs> bit, depending on the stakes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the World playoffs. Series. <laughs> yeah. I'd so, love like, to see wasn't... the unrefined version of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want some video of the unrefined <laughs> for the minor leagues. <laughs> and so, I mean, he's definitely, it's definitely a little bit uh, different in the World Series than what he does in a, you know, a late April contest. But yeah. what's funny is when Annabelle Sanchez came over last year, you know, and obviously he was with the Braves the year prior and he was saying to Soto, he's like, what is that that you do? And Soto at first, I like, thought he had offended him and was like, you know, yeah. no disrespect. And, and Annabelle's like, no, keep doing it. It's distracting <laughs> as hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so he's continued. <laughs> I can imagine when he's a man among boys in the minor leagues that just about every pitcher would have been like, oh, whoa, this dude is something else. <laughs> he's he's doing things on a different level than me. But, Eric, are there, there's still some guys in the big leagues, even pitchers, maybe that would be a little rattled by that, right? Not obviously that's the, the, the best guys. I would be honest. There, I mean, there's a lot of th- little things hitters do, you know, kicking some dirt, little stuff like that. But this thing's so extreme. <laughs> and so obvious I, it pissed you off i so you know if somebody's got kind of their routine they do it you know it's coming uh, there's yeah. there's his bullshit and then you just get back on the mound you know it wouldn't yeah. really phase you but this one's so absurd <laughs> that i think even if i knew it was coming i would have to compose myself <laughs> what, right right i mean uh. the, the the whole thing i mean it's 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 definitely it's it's one of those things that back when you could throw at people, he would get thrown at until he yes. stopped doing yes. it. But now that he has, you kind of, you know, you're protected now. I mean, you might as well do stuff like that and see if you can get in a pitcher's head. And it would <laughs> it would dome me up, man. I would I would really have to. I probably have to step off once or twice during that bat and just remember not to get pissed because you're gonna overthrow or you know it's it's gonna it ups the ante where you're gonna overthrow and leave something middle. I mean, it's it's actually a really good strategy. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the point, right? To get in guys' heads, whether it pisses oh, them off or not, huh? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. That, that's why pitchers used to throw up and into hitters too, because you know it gets in their heads and they're over swinging right. and whatnot. So he's kind of turned the tables. And the pitchers can't so do that anymore. They can't throw nope. up and in, but but well, you can throw up and in. But if you hit him after right. he does that, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a quick ejection, which is. You know, if I can't imagine Joe West in the '80s throwing out, yeah, um, a pitcher that threw at somebody after they did that. You know, it kind of it wouldn't even be a warning. I'm guessing it'd just be like, ah, oh, you kind of had that coming. But in, in today's the, game, yeah, yeah, in the safe. '80s, guys didn't get thrown out. There, there were times when guys had thrown punches and didn't yeah. get thrown out in the '80s. Go the first, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's a different yeah. game, and but good time to be doing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Love you'd it. have to look this up, but in the playoffs, one of the pitchers that they faced after striking out Soto grabbed his crotch as he walked off, kind of like a, hey, I'll show <laughs> oh, you. Oh, who was that? I remember that. Yeah. I, I can't remember who it was now, but it was a big ordeal at the time. It was a battle. Um, they had a battle. Yeah. And uh, so it's definitely getting in guys' heads at every level. Um, you know, it's 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 fascinating. <laughs> I mean, go do that at the mall to people. Someone's going to fight you in the first twenty minutes. Walk around the mall doing that shuffle and then pointing it all at people. Someone's hey, going to fight you. How about if he did it to Max Scherzer? 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> well, now that would go over. <laughs> that would Never be interesting. Asked, have you ever asked Scherzer about it? <laughs> uh, I don't know if we've asked Scherzer what he'd feel like facing him. Uh, he does sometimes, though, in spring training, like early, like live BPs, he'll still do it. But, you know, it's funny games then when you're throwing yeah, guys right, on your team. Right. But uh, and he'll still do it, which is uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It's not going away, that's for sure. I think it's great by myself, but, uh, um, so anyway, so going back to the Nats and this spring shifting gears here, what has it, what was it like? What's it been like for the nationals here? They finally break through this kind of glass mm. ceiling as if, you know, I mean, and the, the glass ceiling that was their postseason limitations and they not just broke through it, but they did every, they won the whole damn thing. They win the world series and then to come back and not be able to kind of have that banner raised at their home opener and to be formally presented their rings and just to be able to go from city to city as the reigning World Series champions. It's almost like, you know, they got this, they waited so long and they kept, you know, falling on their face in the postseason. And, now they, and then they finally have this glorious postseason and they're not able to fully enjoy it the next year. Well, you can argue, guys, that they didn't fully enjoy it this winter. I mean, a week right. after their parade, the Astros right. stuff goes down. Yeah, exactly. um, and then they share so, a site with the Astros. <laughs> yeah. So this spring, um, you know, and, and Jan Mike Rizzo was kind of upset that first day. You know, there's yeah. 100 reporters in West Palm Beach. 95 of them are over on the Astros side. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it's, they've so kind of gotten screwed the whole, the whole way. The whole thing, Yeah. Man. So they still have it on the banner. By the time they do it, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. They won the World Series last year. (laughs) They might have to do it with no fans. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They'll be doing it in Arizona with no Arizona. Either way, it ain't going to be with a packed house in in Washington, not this year. Right. So what are you going to do? You can't raise it the following year. Because there's some, if there is a World Series this year, if there's a season, even if it's 80 games and they have some weird tournament to to, to produce the World Series co- uh, contestants, there's still going to be a World Series winner and the Nats won't be able to raise their banner. Yeah, I know. So weird. I'm glad you guys asked about this because I'm working on a story about this because it's unprecedented, first off. And second, yeah. like you said, Dave Martinez said in February, back before anyone knew what was really going on, how big this was going to be, that there was no way they would raise a banner without fans. So you do ask yourself, what do they do? Do they wait until this maybe gets back to D.C. this year? What if it doesn't, you know? Uh And it's just, it's weird. And the the only kind of comparison I can make a little bit is when the Blue Jays won in 93, they were the last team that really won because then you had two strike short seasons, right? The 94, 95 season. So the Blue Jays felt like they were these legit champions and they had that role. They had that title for a little bit longer. And I think the Nats will feel like they're the champions. And no matter who wins this year, they're still more of the legit champions for a full season, uh, maybe a little bit longer, but you know, the guys on the Blue Jays that I talked to were like, Hey, we at least got our rings in the ceremony in 94 and it was fine. Like, like to me, that's really the culmination of all of this, right? You you step out there, you get this ring. Yeah, Guys talk right, about how they, right. they don't know what it's going to look like. It's one of the best moments of their life. You know, the fans are all there and it really kind of caps the whole thing, right? And then you can move forward. Well, they, the Nats don't get this. We don't know when they're going to get this. 
And yeah, getting in Arizona said, would be brutal too. You want to oh, do that in your right. home stadium? You can't do you know, it there. You can't do that totally in Arizona, man. Yeah, yeah. They don't even and they don't even have spring training in Arizona. So if they did that Arizona plan, <laughs> it would just be completely weird. You wouldn't even have any stragglers that you know just happen to live down by your spring training site, right? But and the games in Arizona are going to be played without fans too. So yeah. it just, I mean, yeah, it's going to be weird. And like you said, though, the the Blue Jays, there was no World Series in '94. So that, but they were able to. That's kind of the uh, opposite of this. They were able to enjoy it for two years playing in front of crowds, two seasons. Whereas the the Nats are not going to be able to enjoy it, maybe at all, playing in front of crowds if there's a World right. Series this year. Right, it's bizarre, and you really do kind of feel bad for them because, like I said, they got kind of all winter. No one's talking about them, right? It's all about yeah. the Astros and the cheating. Yeah. And now they're not even going to get their due. And when they do, will it look the same? You know, we don't, even if they were to open up the stadiums, guys, you know, people are going to be hesitant to go to these large gatherings, I think for a while. So it's just just not going to be normal for a while. And unfortunately, you know, these rings are done. Everything was done. Everything was fitted. Everything was, (laughs) was ready. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. And the team did a zoom call the other day to support Brian Zimmerman's charity. And, um, you know, you had like 18 notable guys on this call. And for the first time ever, you know, you could kind of see the emotion and and, and, uh, about that, about the rings and, you know, all spring, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen. So no one acted like they were that upset. And I think it's kind of hit them now that, you know, at this rate, they could just get these rings mailed to them and they would be the, it would be the smallest championship, you know, parade in the history no one would really care uh and that's more and more what it's looking like so you do kind of feel bad for them uh because they got the parade right i mean they had the parade they They, they got to go through the whole experiences this i think that this this thing would be as from a player standpoint more of just icing on the cake you know the the cherry on top or whatever but the the big part i mean they they did they got to do the they got to win the World Series and and, and celebrate yeah. and do all that, you know. Like if you're Houston, and you're looking back on those memories, like, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm as a player when I look at Houston. I'm like, man, they still got to do all that, you know. When you talk about stripping them and stuff, you could take the, the the title away or the banner down, but they still got to enjoy the best part, which is winning it, celebrating, spraying champagne, the parade. Um, they're they're yeah, I, I bet that this isn't killing them, killing them. But like Gaz said, though, yeah, it means you nothing to at, him. You look back at it now, and you're like, can't really enjoy it that much if you're yeah. the Astros. So. And yeah, the Nationals right. are going to get to enjoy those rings whenever they do get them. They'll get to enjoy them forever. Man, if you look back at it, the weirdness of the last three World Series champions. Crazy. I mean, with the, the, the with the Astros cheating, the the national of the, uh, the the uh, Red Sox, you know, their manager gets fired for whatever cheating that they did, however however you want to uh, say that they cheated. We haven't seen the, the report yet from MLB. And then the Nationals win and don't get to, you know, get their rings and hang their banner and all. It's just not really odd. Something weird every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, it didn't, people don't even think about that spring training that they had, though, when they're sharing a complex with the Astros and, like, almost nobody cares what's going on on the <laughs> national side. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It was like they joked all spring, like the quietest, you know, usually a team wins the World Series. There's more attention. There's more reporters the next spring. They were the most under the radar World Series champions you've ever seen. Which could have been good. I mean, for them to come back, uh, you know, the pressure, there wouldn't be maybe the the expectations. Uh, I know they'd fill them at home and all that, but 
there's just been so much little attention paid to them. Like there is a normal World Series champion, but uh, who would who know who? It's, what was the vibe? Now go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just saying. It seems like it's more of a quiet media market anyway, though. Like it's not. It it's not. It could be a lot crazier, and just yeah. in general. Well, yes, the, that's fair. What's the vibe around that team as defending champions? Uh, rather than. Uh, being the team that so many have picked to win the division in the past, but there was always, they had that reputation for something going wrong in the postseason. Not, not entirely unlike what the Braves had. Uh, now they haven't won a postseason series since 01. And before that, when they won 14 straight division titles, but only won one world series. So there was always that, uh, yeah, they're damn good, but you know, so there was kind of like that thing with the nationals cause they couldn't win a postseason series. So what was the vibe around this team? Uh, even without, you know, Rendon gone, obviously a huge hole in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. I mean, I think they certainly like kind of shut people up, right? It was like, all right, we can win in the playoffs. We've got, we've taken care of that. So, um, you know, it was really kind of Bisman like Bisman. Yeah. Like, I mean, as workman, like that's kind of Davey Martinez. And as you guys know, it kind of rains from the manager, right? It yeah. just, they yeah. just kind of take on that personality that Ryan Zimmerman, that quiet, you know, mm-hmm. kind of no nonsense. They don't have Harper anymore. They don't really have that flashy star. Um, so they're really, they really, to me, it seems like we're just kind of a continuation of last year's team. And mm-hmm. what's nice is DC is behind them. They are excited. There's certainly a lot more buzz around the Nationals. The interesting thing about this media market is it is a big media market, but there's always going to be something bigger going on because mm. that is where the White House is. That right, is where right. our capital is. You know, so there's always going to be uh, a lot more attention on that side of things than there is anywhere else in, in the yeah, country. That's, that's more um, what I meant. Yeah. But certainly it was sold out. People were very excited. Uh, the cool thing about DC is they very much get into events and the nationals right. got good and they became an event. Right. Um, and, and I think that people are, are, are okay backing those kind of teams. I mean, the capitals have a great fan base here as well. The nationals are now right there with them. Um, if you're a bad team, you know, if you're the Redskins, you're the Wizards, um, yeah. they're not, it's not the same level of, you know, kind of like the, the lovable loser Mets where people are just going to continue to support them and continue to kind of put themselves through this misery. Um, that's not really the case in DC. They've got a lot of colleges. They got Maryland, they got Georgetown. There's a lot of options here. So if you're not yeah. good, you're going to kind of fall off that radar, but the nationals have always been good. They yeah. just haven't been able to win when it counts. Right. So I think they kind of built up that fan base over the last few years. And then yeah. this year, obviously everything just exploded. Now it's cool to be a national fan. Uh, now you got people coming out of the woodwork now, interestingly enough, and we live about halfway between Baltimore and DC. It's a little bit more considered Oriole territory. I've seen more national stuff where we live than ever before. So now yeah. you've got, you know, kind of the, the stealing and, and what, you know, the Orioles never wanted because they never wanted you know, a team in D.C. is you've got them kind of taking those fans that are maybe on the border between the two cities. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. That's a, if you're on the border right now, it's an easy choice. The uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that Redskins, that 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 organization still operating? The Washington Redskins? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Talk about they irrelevant, are. man. Talk about an irrelevant <laughs> team. Other than the controversy <laughs> around their name all the time. <laughs> really, it's the only thing <laughs> totally. they're making the headlines for. Um, <laughs> are, are folks there convinced that uh, Strasburg will be the guy that they got last year that and through the postseason, the phenomenal ace pitcher that he was, uh, that he's figured things kind of out about how to stay healthy and kind of turn the corner? 
for good in his career. I mean, he got the biggest contract of any pitcher, so I guess they hope he is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, any pitcher outside of Garrett Cole, yes, I think he. Right. Right. Ha- I think he has figured it out. I think people think, and he's very much a creature of habit. Like he had written into his contract, you know, the ability to use Nats Park, and you know, he lives in D.C. in the Virginia area, you know, year round with his family. So he was very committed, and he's very much a meticulous guy. And I think he mm-hmm. finally has it figured out. He's finally come out of that, like, what could he be shell, right? Mm-hmm. He's finally yeah. gotten rid of the Steven Strasburg, this, this phenom, this hot new prospect, you know, this wonder kid. Um, yeah. He's finally been able to kind of shed that label and just become a guy, a veteran guy. And you're seeing it evolve in his personality. Even in, you know, the, the year plus I've been on the beat, he has changed so dramatically He'll smile at you now. He'll give you interviews. He'll look at you when he speaks to you. These are things that he wasn't doing in the past. So I think you're really just seeing a guy kind of grow up. um, Mm -hmm. And so much of of his personality is very introverted. He doesn't like the spotlight. He's not Mm -hmm. outgoing. Um, He's painfully shy. And so much of that um, was even more, you know, kind of called into question because he was such a big deal, right? He couldn't afford to be shy. He couldn't afford to hide. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so he kind of became this, this yeah. kind of McCurlier, curmudgeon type of guy. And that's really not who he is either. So I think what you're starting to see is the real Steven Strasburg. He's not afraid to show his personality. He's not afraid yeah. to smile. He's not afraid to have fun. And, you know, last year, people don't really talk about it that much, but Max Scherzer being hurt for a lot of last year kind of yeah. forced Steven Strasburg to be the guy. Um, and and really head this rotation and take this pitching staff and say, here's what we're going to do. And he became really active in these advanced meetings. Uh, You know, pitching coach Paul Menhart calls him their assistant pitching coach. That's how into these things he is. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so he's really become behind the scenes as well, um, a huge force on this team. So I think when they were looking at it and they knew they couldn't commit money to both him and Rendon, they felt good knowing that Steven Strasburg was committed to the organization and that he could continue to perform at a high level. Well, I noticed that a lot in his interviews last year, that he just seemed a lot more mature and, and, and quarterback-like versus, you know, like you said, kind of just shying away from it all in the past. Well, Chipper Jones, who um, is the gospel for all things hitting for me, when he says something about hitting, I just listen and take it as the truth. He said in his first, uh, in Strasburg's first couple of seasons, he said this multiple times in Strasburg's first couple of seasons in the league, that he had the best stuff in the majors or in the league, the best stuff. And that was back when Strasburg was still kind of, you know, he'd have bad stretches where he, you know, he would, he would not last him. The Braves knocked him around in the first, uh, couple of years and he was in he the league. He always had yeah, he always had an injury or heat, exhaustion or whatever. And he's since dominated him. But even when they were knocking him around, Chipper said he's got the best stuff in the league. So I guess we're finally, it took a while, but we're finally seeing that come to full fruition. Yeah, exactly. I think, and I I guess you can kind of look at it as, as you know, however you want to. But the fact that he didn't pitch a whole lot, he was king of like yeah. five innings, five right. and a third innings. Uh, might end up helping him right later in his career. Yeah, you know, he, sure. you know, so he had injuries. He missed a lot of time. It's not like he's a guy who's had these consistent 200 innings pitch seasons under his belt. He really hasn't yeah. um, up until this year when he led the NL in innings pitched. So I think that that's something they look at as well is, Hey, he doesn't have that many miles. He's coming into his own, you know, betting on pitching is always going to be risky, but they felt like 
this is gonna this is an investment we need to make. This team is built around starting pitching this national team, yeah. and they're an old they're an old team. Like I said, the window is now. Uh, you might as well try to squeeze as much as you can out of this before Scherzer gets too old, Strasburg gets too old. You know, this is a team that very quickly is going to go from competitive to old and can't win anymore. Like the Phillies. Yeah. yeah. That was their team yeah. for a long time. Yeah. yeah. They hung on to those yeah. guys too long, chasing that chasing that one more title. But the Nats, yeah, this sucks that for the reasons we already cited, that the season might not be played. But also because, like you said, that window is closing. I mean, yeah. they needed to try to go try to win two World Series in a row. And, you know, right. who knows if they're going to even get a chance. But, you know, they're I think in a it's lot worth it. If you, you know, if you. If they wind up squeezing out another World Series out of this, though, I mean, it's it's a, the contracts will be absolutely oh, yeah. worth it. Well, you, know? you could argue they're right. already worth it, you know, right. to win one right. World Series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they got they got that whole monkey off their backs, and Strasburg did. It was obviously worth it for Strasburg. Nobody's talking about that postseason that he didn't pitch anymore, are they? <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> No, now they're talking about how genius it was that they exactly. shot him down back in the day. <laughs> that's it's healthy, yeah. I still got him. Yeah, that was starting to be. That was looking like it might be the definitive uh, uh, point of his career. That postseason and how it was handled by Boris and the team and everything. And now it's like an afterthought. You know, now the now it's what he did last year is what people were talking about. So, yep. Yeah. Don't it could, you can do a whole lot in one month, can't you? <laughs> exactly. To, cha- to change history. Um. Hey, listen, how good is Trey Turner? Because when he was a rookie, I thought this kid was going to be the next superstar. I mean, he completely destroyed the Braves that year. Uh, and, and Snit, every time he played, Snit would be just like shaking his head going, this kid, is there anything he can't do? I mean, he just killed the Braves that year. But it hasn't, I know he's had nagging injuries that have really set him back, right? Yeah, well, last year he played with nine fingers, probably eight, depending on who you're talking to. Um right. Which, and considering that was his throwing hand, I right. mean, that's tough um, yeah. for a shortstop. You saw it in the playoffs. He had his fingers off the bat. So it's really yeah. tough to evaluate. Like like you said, like, who is he? Who is this guy? Is he going to be a guy destined to kind of always deal with something and never stay on the field? Is he going to be a guy who, who develops into, you know, the flashes that you've seen? Um, right. This was going to be a big year for him because they have kind of a whole new infield, basically. So this was going to really, they were probably going to have to hit him third this year without Rendon. So this was really going to be, in my opinion, kind of a make or break year to find out what you have in Trey Turner. Is he a good player or is he a great player? I think that's kind of what you were looking at. And to me, you know, all the, you know, all the spring podcasts you do, people ask like, who's important, who you keep in your eye on. I always said Trey Turner because I felt like he was that important to this team. Wow. Another similarity between the Braves, uh, the, the shortstops having a make yeah. or break year. Cause I kind of see this as out for Dansby, whether they gotta go, is this the guy we build that we build around going forward or can we win a championship with this guy at short? Yeah. Is he a good or a great player? Good I, or very good? I don't think he's going to be great. We never thought he was going to be great, but we thought he's going to be very good for a long time. I think he's a great competitor. And oh yeah. He's that for sure. So, you know, you got that in him, but, uh, it's just that's what you find out with players. It takes a few years, yeah. especially you know repeated years in the big leagues. But there's guys like that that just continue to show these flashes of brilliance, uh-huh. and then slump. And you know the great ones. That's what makes them so great is they can get out of their slumps so fast, yeah. and they can get out of their ruts so fast. Like a Chipper Jones, you know yeah. his his rut might last three days, where you know that's been Dansby's thing. Is he's he's been hot and cold for for just too long of stretches. If he can find yeah. some way to stay in the middle. 
Um, you know he's yeah. the competitor, and you know you want him on your team in the playoffs and when and when big moments show up. Um, but you know, is he going to have that tough stretch and that three week stretch in June or July where he just kills his numbers for the year and makes you doubt him again? But you, I, the one thing I know about him when I watch him play is he's just a gamer, you know. And you, you want him, you want him on your team in those big moments. Yeah, he's got all the intangibles covered for man. sure. But you're right, you're right though. The slumps, he'll go. You know, like last year, he starts out a house of fire. We're talking about, okay, he's turned a corner. You know, Chipper said he could be a Derek Jeter type hitter, and that's what he's doing for like a month. And then he'll go through a three or even longer stretch. Like he'll go a month where he <laughs> he hits like two hundred with no power, and then so you, so he had these these this incredible month early in the season, and then at the end of the year, you're looking at his numbers, going, they're right where they were where they were a year ago, like totally unimpressive yeah but some guys that's just how they get to their numbers yeah you some guys are just consistent you know all year the long. Other end. yeah and it's it's always like that you know it's it's same with ender <laughs> where enders start off the season terrible and then at some point you got to just start saying you know i know he's going to be hot i know he's going to be cold but if you put up the same numbers every year eventually that's pretty much who you are so it, that's that's why you got to try to shake it and have those couple big seasons it's funny because Freddie is the same way. Freddie will go through stretches where people go, oh, Freddie can't hit anything now. He's striking out like he <laughs> yeah. never did. He'll have like now he's, you know, used to have like a three-day skid. Now he's having like some three-week skids. But at the end of the year, you look at his numbers, and there they are again. 302. The MVP caliber numbers. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, the guy gets there, he, 290 or above. Regardless of how many times he'll go through a bad stretch in a year where he's, where he's walking back to the dugout after striking out three times in a game. There's just too many games. There's too many games to trick everybody. You know, you're, yeah, you're right. Your, your you're numbers right. are going to be what they're going to be. Hey, so another guy I wanted to ask you about before we finish here, a guy that really intrigues me, and I and I I think it's because I kind of there's so few offbeat kind of eccentric guys or thinking uh, unconventional guys in the in the baseball. So when I see one who's actually good, I really am attracted to him. Sean Doolittle. This guy really intrigues me, man. I like him. What, what's what's that like being around that guy? What's it, is he is he a cool dude? Oh, he's a great dude. You know, it's that lefty reliever. I mean, they're always good yeah. dudes, aren't they? It just seems like they're the best guys all the time. Uh, Don't say that on this podcast. <laughs> Don't want it to go to his head. Uh, you get humble a lot in the bullpen. <laughs> That's why go. I said it. <laughs> um, no, he's a great guy. I mean, what's really cool about Sean, I think, is that he, he one he gets it, and two he He's one of those rare guys. You ask a question and he actually thinks about the answer. Yeah. Like he really, he really thinks he's, he's very introspective. Yes. Um, he's a guy who takes his time, you know, kind of coming up with an answer. He's very smart. He's very well-spoken. Um, he reads all the time. You know, I follow him on Goodreads. He's reading books that just like a crazy clip. Um, uh-huh. Him and his wife, Aaron are just terrific people get involved in all these causes. Um, but then of course, as a player as well, you're looking at a guy who throws almost exclusively one pitch and is just absolutely dominant when that pitch is on. And yeah. he's talked a lot about how in Oakland, he thought he had to kind of move around with different pitches. And Billy Bean just one day was like, listen, your other pitches suck. All we want you to do is throw your fastball. <laughs> and oh, he was like, man. all right, all right, all right. Fine. Billy Bean okay. ever tell you that, Eric? Uh, no, no. I, I really liked Billy Bean, but I thought, you know, I, I sucked when I was there and he still treated me really well the whole time. But I played with Doolittle too. And I remember him trying to learn a slider and it was just like, 
pulling teeth trying to get it because he would just try to turn it like turn a doorknob you know when he'd throw it he just couldn't wrap his hand his he couldn't get his mind around how to throw a breaking ball and i think he's it's gotten better over the years but he's just got a ridiculous fastball you know i he doesn't throw 99 but it might as well be he's one of those guys that just for whatever reason the way he leverages and backspins the ball it just has a special ride to it that just gets by guys and you know i Almost any coach or, or scout or someone's going to say, you know, that's not going to continue to play in the big leagues. You're going to need a breaking ball and whatnot. But uh-huh. there's just some guys that – and he's one of them. And it's it's crazy to think about. But he could throw 95 right down the middle and get pop-ups and swing and misses all day long. And that's yeah. who he is. you know. Yeah. And so I think that was a big turning point, just embracing that and being like, yeah, Billy's right. My, my other pitches <laughs> suck. I mean, he'll mix in a changeup. We got a group text back from uh, the Oakland bullpen. He'll mix in a changeup or something like that, and we'll all send him, you know, congratulations and and you know, way to go, compliments just for being able to throw anything other than that damn fastball. But I mean, it works. Why would you change it? And he does lunges no. with his dog, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the the, the one pitch guys are just intriguing though, because I remember yeah. in spring training. Zach Britton was out of options before, you know, he got good. He was just like kind of a fringy, is he going to make a guy, you know, couldn't put it together as a starter. And they were like, listen, all we want you to do is throw a sinker. You know, I remember Dom Cheedy, Dave Wallace, uh, who were with the Braves organization. They came over to Baltimore and they're yep. like, listen, throw it between these strings. That's all he did was literally throw that pitch the entire spring. And, and it's dominated. hard to get guys to, yeah, it's hard to get them to buy in. But once they get, once they see, the results, they're like, oh, man, why wasn't I just throwing this before? It's you fun know? to pitch like that. Uh, <laughs> you don't exactly. have to think much. Johnny Venters. <laughs> Going back to Johnny Venters, huh, Eric? Yeah. What yeah, is- I mean, I had a couple of years where I had a sinker I could throw probably 90% of the time and get away with it. My slider was just okay for a few years. It's really fun to pitch like that. You just – you know what they're going to call, and you just – you know, I mean, you don't have to worry about if you're tipping or anything. You just hit the glove. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just remarkable to watch those guys with that much success. Everyone knows what's coming, and they can still get you out. You know, obviously Rivera yeah. is kind of the the ultimate, but you know, there's just yeah. these these examples, and it, it's it's remarkable when you think about it. I guess um, that they're still able to have that success. Everyone in the ballpark knows what's coming. Uh, you've got a professional major league hitter at the plate, and they're still able to get it done. To me, that it's one of the more impressive things I think in baseball. Yeah, I asked. Sure. Um, I asked Adrian Beltre that my first season in the big leagues because uh, we were facing um, the Yankees and we were talking about Mariano's cutter. And I was like, well, why don't you just try to swing where it's going to be? <laughs> he just looked at me like that was the biggest dumbass on the planet. He goes, you don't think we tried that, man? He goes, as soon as you swing, the ball moves. He goes, your eyes just cannot track what this what this yeah. pitch is going to do and predict it. And the movement is so late and harsh, we just we can't barrel it up. He goes, obviously, we've thought you know to anticipate what the ball is going to do, but you just can't quite square it up. And I was like, oh, all right, good talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out in right field and, and shut up. <laughs> like like King Felix when that when the changeup when he first created that monster changeup that he had when he threw so hard, Eric. I mean, yeah, that'd be like asking people ask they'd ask people why why what makes it so hard to hit. He said you can't hit that pitch. I mean, well, yeah, why don't you just swing under the ball? You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's so simple. Yeah. I, that was the last time I asked one of those questions. I just uh, stayed in my lane after that. Yeah, it's something when when there's a guy that has one dominant pitch that's like like the year I saw Kevin Brown when he had his great year when he had well way under two ERA, his sinker was unhittable, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, throw, he's throwing at 96, and it's just sinking. Like guys are saying, it's like hitting a bowling ball. You couldn't hit it. You couldn't put it in play. I mean, that's the but, thing with Doolittle's fastball, too, is everybody knows he's throwing 98% fastballs. And your eyes just – they just play tricks on yeah. you with the way that his ball moves different from other fastballs, the carry it has right. on it, and, and the ride right. to it. It's not that – you know, no one, no one's seen ninety five before. It's just, it just shows you that it's just a different ninety five. I was thinking the other day, what would it have been like if, if Jose Fernandez had lived, and he would face these guys eighteen, nineteen times a year in Soto. In Fernandez Acuna. versus Soto would be one oh. of my favorite matchups of all time to watch because they oh. neither oh. one of them's afraid to show the other guy up. They would go at it. Oh, I'm so good. You would have been talking about three of the best. Young, you know, twenty-five and under players in baseball together at the same time in the same division. So, yeah, arguably the three. That'd best. be fun to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, but uh, Doolittle, just I, I've always that, that guy. The last year or so is really, I, 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 he's so unconventional. And then the other day, John Prime dies, and Doolittle's the only professional athlete I noticed note yeah. at all that took <laughs> note of that and was posting like lyrics to John Prime. I'm going, this guy's got like an old soul or something, man. I like him. Yeah. Do yeah. <laughs> he's a little off. He's awesome. He is. Yeah. He is. He's a lefty. He's a classic lefty, offbeat lefty. But he's classic. a little too smart. He's a little too smart. Yeah. He doesn't, he's, yeah. Like, he's not part of the crew to be. I'm going to be honest with you. He's not brain dead enough to really fit in 100%. He's, he's kind of an outlier. <laughs> yeah. And it will be as teams generally prefer players to be steer clear of anything kind of controversial or like draw attention, just be just bland. They want him to be. And he's not that at all. So. I like uh, I like I like when he says things that are on his mind and you know introspective like you said but you got to put up numbers you can say whatever you want yeah exactly yeah hey, Brit, he knows that <laughs> hey Brit so we didn't while we have you on before we hang up here what uh, what have you thought about the possible plans I think you've you know indicated earlier you're kind of skeptical about the, the the possibility of playing but what have you thought about the plans we've the, the, the two that have come out obviously. Uh, with the Arizona plan, where they move everything to Arizona, confine the players to hotels, and uh, possibly bring the families out, but probably not. But play the whole season out there, and then the other one, where they have the radical realignment that Bob Nightingale wrote, that he got wind of, where the Braves would have been in a divi- would be in a division with all American League teams. I, I, I'd, both of them seem logistically a nightmare. But I thought the Arizona thing, at least while obviously inconvenient for the players, I thought there were at least made some sense that might be doable. Uh, I just can't see how the Florida thing's doable with all the sites involved and the, trying to isolate players in so many different places, you know, Arizona and Florida and different towns. What, what are your thoughts on right. that? Right. Yeah, I think Arizona would be more feasible if you could include the families. And by more feasible, I mean the right. players would be more apt to go right. along with it. Um, certainly health risk wise. Now you're what tripling that risk because of all the extra people you're having that are going to be around. But I don't know how you can say to these guys, many of whom, you know, wives are pregnant. Um, Hey, you're going to have to miss birthdays. You're going to have to miss births of your child. Like, I just don't see how, and and you're going to have to play for, you know, these prorated sound less money right now, but you're not going to have a life. You can't leave the hotel. You know? Um, I think that that, that to me is an incredibly hard sell. Uh, I don't see how that gets approved because what are you going to do? Is there still the paternity list? Are these guys really going to miss these huge yeah, life events? You you know, what, yeah, a, you what about bereavement? What about if someone dies and someone's, you know, like they can't leave your dad dies, your mom dies, you're stuck in a hotel quarantined. You can't go. You can't, you know, can't, 
your wife is sick, you know, like, right. you know, yeah. I, yeah. There's, there's some, there's some issues with it. Maybe you make exceptions. I don't know. But like you said, when you bring the families in, the kids, the wife, the girlfriend, whatever, then you can't, they can't like go to the mall in Phoenix and go shopping one day, you know, no, they're stuck back. at home too. Right. So they're right. stuck in the hotel as well. So you better have some entertaining hotels with a lot of options for the kids and, uh, you know, indoor pools and all that. You better be but, the Disney World Resort to try to get a mom yeah. stuck in a hotel room with her kids. Right. <laughs> exactly. They've got two young kids, man. I, I think you could probably get about, I don't know, 85% of the players to agree to do it, to be isolated. But there's already been several that have said, you know, that one one or two that are going to have babies on the way, you know, yeah. that they're not going to yeah. miss it. And, and like Chris exactly. Sale, I said he won't do it. Uh, you know, there's too many guys that I think would be like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, You can't force them to do it. You can't force them to do it. You can't. And like, I also, I mean, the problem with including the families is like we said, now this risk is really high. Now you're talking yeah. about quarantining thousands and thousands of people. Right. Uh, and really, it's no different than what we're doing now. Um, but how can you, all it's going to take is one case to wipe everyone out. Or to start over from scratch, you know. Um, right. So I'm just well, not got, really sure. The new how testing that's that that they're coming out with now, where you can find out like in 15 minutes, that helps a lot. And you'd obviously have to be able to, the capability of doing it, you know, at least a couple times a week. And then if anybody shows any signs at all, but now they're saying that people that are before they're when they're asymptomatic, when they're two or three days before they show symptoms, might be when they're most yeah. contagious. Yeah. yeah. Right. So right. I just everybody they've come into contact with in those three days before they start showing symptoms, you know, unless you're going to test everybody every day. That's you know the only I mean? way to do it. Every day. You got to do it every day. I, when you come to the ballpark, zap them with the thing, the temperature, or, or just give them the test every day. But then that's kind of a right. bad look when you're blowing all these tests on, you know, right. on, on professional athletes. So you can, right. It's just, it doesn't, it's a bad look when there's people that need to go back to work and they can't get the test. You'd have to have, that many tests available in the whole country. And then at that exactly. point, just put everyone back to normal and take your chances. And so far, totally. there, aren't, there aren't nearly enough tests. No. Not nearly. Right. Yeah. And like what, someone's 12-year-old now takes precedence over hospital workers because they're a base, right. their dad's a baseball player? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it just, it's a fine, yeah, it's a bad look. And there's so much we still don't know, I feel like, about this virus that maybe in six to eight weeks we will. You know, yeah. maybe that plan does work when we know a little bit more, when yeah. tests are more widely available. My right. worry, guys, my biggest worry is that we do all of everything we're doing now and it ends up we do it for nothing because they try to rush back these big events right. and then we're yeah. all stuck yeah. in quarantine in September and October. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, hey, you know what? I'm cool with quarantining now. I'm, I would like everything to shut down. Yeah. Let's just get this over with. But everyone I talk to in baseball is like, listen, I miss sports as much as everyone else. But, you know, let's do this thing right so we don't have to do it again. My yeah. worry is baseball and all these other sports rush back. And now we're stuck with a second wave. Well, that's, yeah, that's why they I, want to I, I do totally it with agree. no fans, but it just, it's uh, it, the logistics. I mean, it's just too hard to pull off, I think. I, st I totally agree. I think that rushing back, whether it be <laughs> sports or just in life in general, some of the states that they say are not as affected and might be able to come back sooner. I think the biggest mistake we can make, like you said, is rushing back and then having a setback and a second wave starts Destroys to spike. Everything. And all of a sudden, they're shutting us all down. 
Can you imagine as miserable as a lot of people are right now? No. Uh, and, and, and out of work <laughs> and the unemployment figures being what they are. Can you imagine if all of a sudden they said in two months after things are starting to get some semblance of normalcy, they said, we got to go back and start all over with what we did. No. So I, Exactly. That's, so that's why rush back to try to start, possible. you know, open the camps and baseball if the, in May or June? If you have to wait and start July fourth, then do it, you know, and and play all the way to December. I just think right. I'd rather have postseason in the first two weeks of December than than try to rush back and uh, and then have a setback and you start have to start over again. Or, or you wipe out half the league, and you got you know you're barely be able to you you got minor leaguers playing these games out there because so many so many guys have tested positive. Exactly, just, exactly. I agree. Yeah, I totally so, agree. Uh, patience. Yeah. I think and, it's the hardest our, thing, but I think patience is what we still have to have. I yeah, think we're not close Agreed. to being there ready yet. Agreed. And I think the, the not knowing is what's killing people, right? If we said, yeah. listen, we stick to this for six to eight weeks, we're in the clear, people yeah. would probably have a better outlook. But because yeah. we don't know, people are like, well, are we going to be stuck this way forever? Is it going to be like this for <laughs> yeah. months? Like, hey, if I'm cor- I'm quarantining and seeing photos of people out partying, like, how come I can't be doing that? Like, I, I know. think, you know what I mean? It's It's a bad, it's just, it's a really yeah. frustrating thing right now. I think if we all got on the same page, if all these rumors about sports coming back would just shut down for a little while, yeah. um, you know, everyone would just realize that let's like slow this first off and then we can come back with sports. Because like you said, I don't want to watch a watered down version of baseball. I don't want like, Oh, here's the angels without Mike Trout. Like no yeah. one wants to watch that, you know, like, Oh, he's, he had a high you know, temperature today. And well, he's yeah. having a kid too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he exactly. said he's, he's not missing That's that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, man, like like you were saying, people are going to be reluctant to go back into it for a while. To go. Can you? They're talking about playing college football, hoping to play. Co- can you even imagine a crowd of a hundred thousand people? How far we have to get between now and then, where most people would be comfortable going to sit as tight as you're sitting next to the person breathing on each other? A hundred thousand people at a football game. I can't see that happening anytime soon. I just can't see it. People love football. <laughs> I know they do. And you'll have drunk college kids that'll be willing to go. Yep. But I think a whole lot of people are going to want to stay away from that. You know, I agree. Can- we're, we're a long way off from that. I mean, I'm trying to get married with 20 people and we had to push our wedding. I mean, I don't oh. know when you're going to be able to go sit to a football stadium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or basketball. You know? I mean, yeah. Or baseball. But at least, you know, baseball, you don't normally everything doesn't have to be packed. I mean, people are used to playing baseball games in front of 15, 20,000 people in a 40,000 seat place. I mean, if it matters, you know, if you're getting splitting hairs here and you didn't need to separate people, you know, do the social distancing, you know, sit them every three seats or whatever. (laughs) It's weird, but I could at least see it happening in baseball. Whereas I can't see that happening in football or basketball. (laughs) Yeah. But when the the game's over, no one's going to sit in their seat till it's safe. Exactly. You're, everyone's going to pile up and, and try to get out of the stadium. You know, it's it's just it's too hard to pull that off. Uh, yeah, you just got to play. You're going to have to play games without fans. It's yeah. going to have to be done. It's not the end of the world, right? Man. As long as you can play them on TV no. and people can watch. Everybody people just want to watch. Yeah. Most people just well, watch yeah. anyway. Most people don't even go to the games anyway. Majority of fans right. watch on TV. I found yeah. myself flipping experience. channels. You know. Like I've been yeah, flipping channels yeah. for the first time in like three years, just seeing what's on TV. I haven't watched TV in forever. If there's baseball on, you're turning it on. Yeah, baseball, exactly. And, the ratings will be huge if yeah. people play games on TV. They know with that. or without fans. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and then guys, we'll be home too because the media is definitely not a social distancing uh, profession. So we'll be watching these games and talking over Zoom to these guys for a long time. Yeah, I don't no, see us sitting weird. in press box and tight press boxes anytime soon. I don't see. And it, plus, most of our employers are not going to have us flying around the country when it's not even, you know, <laughs> safe yet or whatever. Exactly. So, all right. So. Well, yeah, weird times. But, hey, listen, I'm glad we got to talk about the Nationals reigning World Series champions that aren't going to get to play this year. But uh, <laughs> 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 we appreciate you yeah. coming on with us, Britt. It was fun. And hopefully we get to see Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto and all the rest of the guys play in the not-too-distant future. But we'll see. Everybody hang on. Exactly. Fingers crossed. All right. Thanks, guys. It was fun yeah. to chat. Thanks for all coming right. on. 755 is real. We're out.